Okay, today is a big day. We're going to today, if things go uh, the way I hope they do, we're going today to end this lesson talking about the most controversial passage in all the Bible, in my experience. Half of Protestant Christianity falls on one side of the argument, and the other half falls on the other side of the argument. And my goal for this lesson is that when we get to that argument, you're going to see really clearly, and without it's going to be obvious as it can be, that the argument's not valid. The argument's not valid. So, let's get into it here. Let me pray for us real quick. God, please visit us today with your spirit and that your word might penetrate our hearts and you'll write it on our hearts and in our minds to this morning, today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've been talking about a better priest offering a better sacrifice as part of a better covenant. A better priest offering a better sacrifice as part of a better covenant. Say that with me, would you? A better priest offering a better sacrifice as part of a better covenant. One more time. A better priest offering a better sacrifice as part of a better covenant. That's basically what we've been talking about. And of course the purpose of all that is to lead us to perfection. This word teleao, teleao is the telescope word, root word, meaning getting to a destination, completion, maturity. We want to move on to maturity. Uh, last week we uh, were in chapter 8, but this whole conversation about a better high priest offering a better sacrifice under a better covenant started back in chapter 5. Let's just go back to chapter 5 and review a few things. Chapter 5, verse 1, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men and things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices. The Levitical priest is in mind, priesthood is in mind here. Now we're talking to a group of Jewish believers that, that Jesus is the Messiah. And what kind of sacrifice are they familiar with? Animal sacrifice. Let's call it temple sacrifice. The temple sacrifice. And it says here, but he's required as for the people, so as for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. But Jesus, although he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things he suffered, verse 8, and having been perfected, teleao, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Now, obedience is not how you're born again. You're born again just by faith. But the salvation we've been talking about throughout this book is not being born again. It's the restoration of all things to their proper order. And if we want to restore things to proper order, the path is through obedience. And then he says in verse uh, 12 there, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles. And the reason he's chastising them is because he says, you've become hard of hearing, and it's going to be hard to explain this son learning obedience and being perfected, author of eternal salvation, all who obey him. Verse 10, called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, this better priesthood, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. 
So this is, this is where this whole better priest offering a better sacrifice under a better covenant started. And he wants to talk about the better priesthood offering the better sacrifice under the better covenant. But these guys have come a little hard of hearing. But what he wants them to do is move on to perfection. Chapter 6, verse 1, Therefore, leaving the discussion of elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Better priest, offering a better sacrifice, under a better covenant. That's how we get to this completion, to this maturity. I want you to move on to maturity. We go to chapter 7. This Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings. We looked at that in Genesis. Blessed him. To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, being translated king of righteousness, and then king of Salem. His name means that, meaning king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. It's a type. But made like the Son of God remains a priest continually. This better priesthood is continuous. Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. Abraham tithed to Melchizedek, the historical character. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi, who received the priesthood, which priesthood are we talking about? The Levitical priesthood, the temple, the guys that do the temple sacrifice. have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though have they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he, whose genealogy is not derived from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here mortal men receives tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it's witness that, the, that he lives. Even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. It's an interesting argument. Because Levi was in the loins of Abraham, he was still in the DNA of Abraham yet to be born. When Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, it was a recognition that that is a better priesthood. It's superior. The, 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 the uh, congressmen don't come pay tithes to us. We pay taxes to them. Because they're in a political order above us. Well, that's the idea here. It's a better priesthood than the Levitical priesthood. Verse 17, Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, what further need was there that another priest should arise? It's a better priesthood. Look at uh, chapter 7, verse 26. Such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices. Who daily offers up sacrifices? The temple priests, the Levitical priests, daily offering up sacrifices. And this high priest, the high priest according to Melchizedek, does not need to do that. Why? Why does he not need to do it daily? For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. See, he had a better sacrifice. Why is this sacrifice better? It was once and done. It was complete. It was perfected. We have a better priesthood. 
And the better priesthood offers a better sacrifice. We go to chapter 8. Now this is the main point of the things we're saying. We have such a high priest. What kind of high priest? A better high priest, right? Verse 3, For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. What kind of sacrifices? Blood sacrifices. What kind of sacrifices particularly? Temple sacrifices, right? We're talking about temple sacrifices here. Therefore, it's necessary this one who have something to offer. Well, he didn't offer a temple sacrifice. What did he offer? A better sacrifice of himself. Verse 6, But now he's obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he also is mediator of a better covenant. What office does he hold that he mediates this better covenant? High priesthood. He's got a better covenant. A better covenant needs a better mediator. Who's the better mediator? Jesus. And then he goes and he says, Now, if the first covenant, verse 7, had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. And then he quotes this uh, passage from Jeremiah that we went into in some degree of detail. And in chapter, chapter 8, verse 10, he says, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. Where is the first covenant law written? Stone tablets, right. Where's this one written? On our hearts. You've got a better high priest offering a better sacrifice under a better covenant. And part of the reason this covenant's better is because it's written on our hearts. So we come to chapter 9 now. We continue the conversation. Better priest, better sacrifice, better covenant. Chapter 9. Then indeed... Even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was prepared. The first part, which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot, that had manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables, tablets of the covenant. What's written on the tablets of the covenant? The law, okay? So where are we now in time, history? Where are we? Tabernacle, where are we? In the desert. We're in the desert, okay? They built this tabernacle out of the goodies that they got from the Egyptians when they went and said, hey, can you give us some stuff when we're leaving? Everybody just had their cattle decimated and their you know, frogs filling up their house and lice all over them and their oldest kids die. And they're like, yeah, 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 sure. Here, here take this, take this and go. Just go, 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 go. So they had all these goodies and they made this tabernacle. All gold overlaid and all this stuff and they carried it around with them. Cloud by day, fire by night, stands over the tabernacle. We're in the desert with the tabernacle here where the covenant was given. And the priests were inaugurated, right? Because that's where the law was inaugurated. Verse 6, Now, when these things had been thus prepared, the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. Idea is, they went in there when? Does anybody know? 
The first part, change out the bread daily. They went in every day. Every day you go in, change out the bread, go uh, put the oil in the incense thing. That, that, that was something they did daily. Verse 7, But into the second part, the Holy of Holies, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, when he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. Anybody know what day that is? Day of Atonement. And, uh, and you know what the Jewish word for that is? Yom Kippur. This is Yom Kippur. Okay? And that's still the highest holy day in Israel, Yom Kippur. Uh, I mean, modern, modern day Israel. It's uh, their biggest, biggest holy day. So once a year, he would go into this Holy of Holies and sprinkle um, blood on the mercy seat of the ark for sins committed in ignorance. Verse 8, the Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It's tabernacle in the desert. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered. Which kind of sacrifices? Temple. Temple sacrifices, okay. Which kind of sacrifices? Let's all say it. Which kind of sacrifices? Temple, Temple sacrifices, okay. We've got to get this down or it's not going to happen. The temple sacrifices, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to conscience. What we're trying to move on to? Perfection. Tele-a-o. Completion, maturity. And that completion and maturity can't happen with our conscience with temple sacrifices. It's concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings, fleshly ordinances imposed till the time of Reformation. What's the time of Reformation? When it changes, when we all get restored back to the way it's supposed to be, right? That's the salvation that's mainly in view in Hebrews. That we have the opportunity through the suffering of death and following the path of Jesus to be crowned with glory and honor again like we were supposed to be, reigning in perfect harmony over a perfect uh, creation. But until then, we need our hearts cleansed from an evil conscience. Verse 11, but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come. He came as a better priest with a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. That is, not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves. What is that? Blood of temple sacrifice. But with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all. How often do you have to have temple sacrifice? Yeah, and how often does Jesus' sacrifice have to happen? Well, the temple sacrifice does does doesn't do what? It doesn't cleanse you, right? It doesn't get away, take away sins. Jesus' sacrifice does. Contrast, contrast, contrast. Verse twelve: Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with His own blood He entered the most holy place once for all, once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats, what kind of sacrifice is that? A temple sacrifice. If the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, that's a different sacrifice we'll get into later. Sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, our bodies. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself, 
without spot to God. Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. This is, this is the perfection, the teleao. This is what he's trying to get them to go from hard of hearing to move on to maturity, is to cleanse your conscience from the law written on your heart, the word ingested, and serve the living God with good works. This is the whole point. Verse 15, and for this reason, he's the mediator of a new covenant. It's a better covenant, better priest, better sacrifice, better covenant. By means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. See, in order to get the promise, the reward, the possession of the land, the people had to obey. And the same is true for us. If you want the benefits of this new covenant, then you have to follow the new covenant. Verse 16. For where there's a testament, there also must be of necessity the death of the death of the testator. We would think of this as a will. A will does not come into force until somebody dies. Uh, if suddenly uh, Tom came home from work one day and his kids were all there and they started reading his will and saying... Um, we've decided to take all this stuff now. What do you think Tom would say? Well, I'd say all what stuff. <laughs> I'd say all what stuff. <laughs> okay. Your bicycle. I don't know. Yeah, he probably wouldn't be too happy, right? If uh, somebody comes in and starts putting uh, tape and putting their names on your stuff, it just isn't good. But after the death... That's, that's when the will comes in. Verse 17, for a testament's in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood, for when Moses had spoken every precept, this is the old covenant, to all the people, according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. We're talking about the old, the old covenant here, the old sacrifices. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And with the, without shedding of blood, there's no remission. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these. You see, this tabernacle is a copy of something. What's it a copy of? What? Yeah, it's the copy of heaven. There's a real tabernacle in heaven. And this earthly one was a little copy of that. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. What sacrifices is he talking about? He's talking about the temple sacrifices, right? We need something better than that for the sacrifice in heaven. You see the contrast. I, don't, I, don't, I hadn't been counting. What is this? About 15 times now we've contrasted. This is a better sacrifice than the old sacrifice because the old sacrifice had to happen continually and it didn't get rid of sins and it didn't cleanse the conscience. And this one happened once and it cleanses sins forever and it cleanses the conscience. Okay, The contrast over and over again. For Christ has not entered the holy places, verse 24, Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands. In other words, he's in heaven, which are copies of the true. 
Uh, sorry, I, I, miss, I, I messed that up. Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true. In other words, he doesn't gone into the tabernacle in the wilderness. Now to appear for us in the presence of, of God, not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another, day of atonement. Then he would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once, at the end of the ages, he's appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Better high priest, better sacrifice, better covenant. And the better sacrifice is himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Now, do you get born again by eagerly waiting for Jesus? No. No. Right. Four spiritual laws. You know, believe believe that uh, you know there's a gap between you and acknowledge your sin and eagerly wait for it. That that doesn't work. The salvation we're talking about here is what the redemption of all things. And the redemption of all things only happens when Jesus comes back. And that's when this teleao that we're angling for comes to full fruition. If you don't eagerly wait for the return of Jesus, then you may not be on the path that Paul wants you to be on. To obtain this inheritance, this amazing reward. Chapter 10. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, not the very image of things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year. What sacrifices are we talking about? Temple sacrifices. Make those who approach perfect. Tell They don't work. What do the temple sacrifices not do? They don't make you perfect, right? What are we trying to do? Move on to perfection. Will the temple sacrifices do it? No. For then, would they have not have been ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, which sacrifices? The temple sacrifices. There is a reminder of sins every year. Not only does it not cleanse the conscience... It makes the conscience worse. Why? It reminds you. It reminds me. I'm sinful. I need cleansing. So it has a a worthwhile function, but the function is not to bring us to perfection. For it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. What is the blood of bulls and goats? Temple sacrifice. Verse 5, chapter 10, verse 5. Therefore, when he came into the world, he, Jesus, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. Which sacrifice are we talking about? Temple, Temple sacrifice. But a body you've prepared for me. Why did he prepare a body? Better. It's a better sacrifice. In burnt offering and sacrifice for sin, you had no pleasure. Which sacrifice are we talking about? Temple Temple sacrifice. Then I said, Behold, I've come in the volume of the book. It's written to me to do your will, O God. And God's will was 
that Jesus lay down His life. Previously saying sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire. Which sacrifice? Temple. Temple sacrifice. Nor had pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. Then He said, Behold, I've come to do Your will, O God. He takes away the first that He might establish the second. By that will, we have been sanctified. Sanctified means to be set apart. We have been sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ once for all. Which sanctification are we talking about here? Daily sanctification where we are... Are we cleansed from the sin, power of sin? No, once for all. This is being born again. He's taken us through faith in Christ. He takes us from the kingdom of darkness and puts us into the kingdom of light. One time for all. Have you ever seen a better eternal salvation security verse than this? We have been. We. Who's we? Us. Who's we in this context of this letter? Paul and the people he's writing to, right? Holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, who had lost their possessions and were glad because they know they have a more enduring possession in heaven, who've done good works, who he hopes to, longs to come see again soon. There's no question that whether these people are born again or not. No question at all. They have been sanctified. So, Why do you need a better sacrifice if you've already been sanctified? Why? Because what else do you need cleared? Your conscience. Why? Because that's the necessary preparation to do good works. And by doing good works, we can move on to perfection. Taliyao. Verse 11. Every priest... Why do you need a clear conscience to do works, good works? If you're guilty, um, are you going? If you are guilty, you feel guilty because you know you're guilty. Can you um, can you live a, a righteous life under guilt? Have you ever tried? I, how many here have tried to do that? Oh, come on. The rest of you are liars. I think you do your works to assuage your guilt. Yeah, yeah. Really, if you're under guilt and your conscience is guilty, you just you have to start justifying yourself. You just don't have any choice. You have to. And you can't really, uh, I don't think, love another person, see what's in their heart and, and look through their eyes and, and do what's in their best interest if you're under guilt and you know it. Which is, you know, what conscience is. But ponder that. Yeah, but do you think any human being is really fully without guilt? Well, see, that's... that's we're, we're, declared, we're declared... We're declared righteous, but here's, here's, I think, the big point here. That's what he's taking us to heaven for, right here. He is telling us that if we will exercise the faith that God has given us, we can, by faith... Now, it doesn't erase the knowledge that we've been stupid 
and that we've done wrong things. But by faith, we can actually accept the blood of Jesus on a current basis to cleanse us from guilt right now. That, that, and which is, that's the power of this thing. This is how we can live this kingly life that he wants us to live, this servant king life. The creation's all messed up. But he wants us to start living as though it's not right now by faith. And this is the key to it, to have our hearts cleansed. Steve? Tim, I would draw a contrast between two things as he does in First John. Okay. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Okay. We know we have sin. So there are people who pretend not to have sin and do righteous works. And they're deceiving themselves. And they're deceiving themselves. The truth is not in them. And the fruit of those works is filthy rags. It's self-righteousness, inevitably. Inevitably, it's damaging to those that they say they're trying to help get over their terrible sin. Right. And then, on the other hand, if we confess our sins, he forgives us. We're the person who knows we've had a log removed from our eye. Okay. We can now see clearly to help our brother remove the log. So it's that humility... Of knowing I'm for, not saying I don't have sin, but of knowing that I've been forgiven from the sin of which I am terribly guilty because of the blood of Jesus. Of Jesus. And not only not only does First John say that, that it also says if we walk in the light as He is in the light, His blood covers our sins, the sins committed in ignorance, which is where we're starting this. The Day of Atonement's for sins committed in ignorance, even all the sins we're doing and being stupid, and we don't even know it. If we deal with the things we know, he'll just deal with all the rest of that. And then you look back and say, what was I thinking? I didn't even realize how stupid I was. Don't, got, got it. Don't worry. My, my, my sacrifice took care of that too. No problem. Okay? Great aside, let's go back to the text here. 10, verse 11. Every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices. Which sacrifices are we talking about? Temple sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Do temple sacrifices ever take away sins? They do not. Okay, And how would we know that? He's said it about 15 times now, hasn't he? Uh, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, have you heard that before? Better priest with a better sacrifice, better covenant, sat down at the right hand of God. Okay, Now look in verse 11. What's the posture of the temple priests? Standing. standing. Why are they standing? They're working. Why are they working? It's not finished. They have to keep doing it. They're, all, they're going over and over, right? Every day. Why, why are they doing that? It doesn't work. What's Jesus' posture? He's sitting down. Why is He sitting down? He's finished, right? He's perfected. He's teleao. Verse 15, but the Holy Spirit also witnesses us, for after he had said before, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I'll put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. That's a big deal. That's why I keep saying it over and over again. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I'll remember no more. Steve's point, you're cleared. Do you believe me? Do you believe me that you're cleared? Really? You're going to beat yourself up? When you beat yourself up, what are you saying? Your sacrifice wasn't enough. I need something else. More on that later. Where there's no now where there's a remission of these, there's no longer offering for sin. Therefore, brethren, 
Okay, these are brethren. We have been sanctified. Therefore, brethren. So what what about it? Better priest, better sacrifice, better covenant. So what? Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Which holiest does he want us to go in? Which holiest? The, the temple, the tabernacle, or the one in heaven? The one in heaven. See, I, we're, not, we're not trying to get you all to become high priest, Levitical priests so you can go in once a year. I want you to go right to heaven. And when do I want you to go? Yeah, right now, whenever you need to. By a new and living way, a better covenant, by which he consecrated, he who? Jesus, the high priest, consecrated. How did he consecrate it? His own blood. Through the veil that is his flesh, the veil that is separating the outer court from the inner court in the heavenly sanctuary is Jesus' body. Jesus' body. We're going to partake today of Jesus' body, which he, he was broken for us. It's not a barrier. It's an invitation. And having a high priest over the house of God, this is the better high priest, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Faith in what? Better, Better priest, better sacrifice, better covenant, the blood of Jesus. It's sufficient. Having our hearts sprinkled. The high priest went in on the Day of Atonement and sprinkled the ark. We go in and say, would you sprinkle my heart? My sin's committed in ignorance. I know I have sin. Would you sprinkle it for me? I want to be clean. Not all just in ignorance either. What? And not all just in ignorance either. And not all just in ignorance. Okay, very well done. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. What's the confession of our hope? Jesus. He's going to restore all things. Without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. He will really do what he said he'll do. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. The whole point of this is have our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience to have good works. Well, let's stir one another up to good works. And so, for not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. This is why we're together uh, in, in church. This is why we get together in small groups. When we are together in the marketplace, we can stir one another up as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. What day? Jesus is coming back. And when He comes back, the Word that's sharper than a two-edged sword that will divide between the thoughts and intents of the heart will be applied to us. And then we will find whether we get this reward or not. And He wants us to have it. So get a sense of urgency, guys. Look forward to His coming. The people looking forward to His coming because they're doing what He wants them to do, that's who He's going to reward. Four. Now here's the most controversial verse in the whole Bible. 
And I bet it won't be to you anymore. Four, if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Which sacrifice is he talking about? The temple sacrifice. Does the temple sacrifice work to get rid of sins? No, it doesn't work. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. And that's the reason why everybody wants that sacrifice to be the blood of Jesus. So here is the controversy. If you sin willfully, then it means Jesus' blood doesn't work for you anymore and you lost your salvation. That's party A. No, party B says, you can't lose your salvation. It's given by the election of God if you sin willfully. Too much, you know, too much. Not some willfully, but just a whole lot willfully. Uh, then, Then that means you never had your salvation to begin with. You weren't elect. And the reason we know it has to be talking about the blood of Jesus here, even though we've just heard 50 times a contrast between what doesn't work and what does work, is because of fiery indignation. Let me come back to that. Anyone who's rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you suppose we thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified? Remember, we've all been sanctified. Paul and the people he's writing the letter to, we've all been sanctified. Which sanctification were we talking about? Being born again, put in the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of light. Treated the blood by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. How would you... So you've got a better high priest, better, better sacrifice, and a better covenant. Okay? What does that better sacrifice cover? Everything. How could you insult Jesus, the high priest, and count his better sacrifice a common thing, something that doesn't really matter? How could you do that? Trust in something else. You get it? Hey, guys, the old priesthood is inferior. New priesthood's better. Hey, guys, the old sacrifices don't work. You have to keep doing them. New sacrifice is better. Hey, guys... The law is inside the tabernacle in this one. It's in your heart in this one. Hey, guys, that one doesn't work. This one does. Hey, guys, if you want to keep on sinning and then go say, but it's okay because I went and did my sacrifice at the temple, you know what you're doing? You're treating the blood of Jesus like it's a common thing. And it doesn't really matter to you anymore. Now, what about the fiery indignation? Well, let's go on just a little further. Verse 30, For we know Him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord, and again the Lord will judge His people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, we've done this once before, we're going to do it again. We're going to go look at those verses. But let me just... Uh, finish this chapter real quick and then we'll come back and look at this fiery indignation. But recall the former days after you were illuminated, you understood. 
You endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. You were, you were persecuted. For you had compassion on me and my chains. So Paul, they're ministering to Paul in their chains, which would have put them at risk for arrest. And joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Okay, recall what you did at the start and go back and do that again. Don't drift away from trusting in the treasure that lasts. Don't start wanting treasure on earth when you can have treasure in heaven, guys. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. Does anybody remember where that's from? Anybody remember? We did it a couple weeks ago. It's from Deuteronomy. Very good. Let's go to Deuteronomy. Anybody remember what verse? Chapter 32. And we're going to be down around verse 30 someplace. 35. Very good. Now, we did this once before and I gave you the whole run up. I'm going to do it again but without going through all the verses. We started in Jeremiah. And we started with the potter's wheel. Remember this? I can just take that clay and lump it back up and make you any way I want to, guys. Because if you... Now remember, we're in 586 B.C. Abraham, 2000 B.C. Moses, the tabernacle, all that, about 1500 B.C. David in 1000 B.C., 586 B.C. We're now on the precipice of being deported to Babylon. And Jeremiah is telling the people, guys... uh, If you don't honor your treaty with Egypt, you're going to get mashed and you're going to get deported. And uh, so one of the things he tells the people is, I I can make you again just like a potter does. And then in the next chapter, chapter 19, if, if I remember right, he takes them out to the potter's gate. He breaks a pot. And the potter's gate overlooks the valley of Hinnom, which is Gehenna, which is where the trash was. There's always smoldering fires. That's where the child sacrifice took place when they were fall into Baal worship. It's a picture of evil, death, and corruption. It's often translated hell, unfortunately. It should just be translated Gehenna because you've got to look from the context to see what it's representing. And he takes them to Gehenna and he says, this is where thousands of dead bodies are going to be because there's going to be so much death in this, in this city that um, you're not going to be able to bury everybody. That's what's coming. And then we went to Jeremiah, what is it, 29-11. I know I have great things for you, a, a hope and a... Does anybody know that verse by heart? Things to prosper and not, Pros- yeah, things to prosper and not harm you. And we, we talked about that, that it's an odd way for God to prosper the people. But that's the way God deals with sin. Yeah, has catastrophe happened? To cleanse and purify. Or difficulty uh, that comes in. And then we went back to Deuteronomy and we looked at chapter 30 where it says, you know, if you disobey me, I'm going to bring in a foreign nation to chastise you. And we talked about how this had been done actually many times over the history of Israel, the culmination of it being in Babylon. And he gives them a song to remember that by. If you you leave me, you're going to pay the price. And the song is in Deuteronomy chapter 32. 
Let's look at verse 28. They are a nation void of counsel, nor is there any understanding in them. I'm sorry, yeah, Deuteronomy 32. Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. How could one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight unless their rock had sold them? And the Lord had surrendered them, for their rock is not like our rock. Even our enemies themselves being judges, for their vine is the vine of Sodom, and the fields of Gomorrah, and the grapes are grapes of gall. Our enemies are going to be our judges. Their clusters are bitter, their wine is the poison of serpents, and the cruel venom of cobras. Is this not laid up, stored with me, sealed up among my treasures? This is what's in... If you want, if you want to follow that path, this is the consequence you're going to suffer, guys. Vengeance is mine and recompense... That's the quote that we had over in Hebrews. Okay, God is going to see that all things are put to right, all things are brought to justice. Their foot shall slip in due time. This is eventually going to happen to Israel. For their day of calamity is at hand. This is the song they're supposed to sing so they can remind themselves, there's real consequences to my actions. And the things, and the things to come hasten upon them, for the Lord will judge His people and have compassion on His servants when He sees their power is gone and there's no one remaining bond or free. So let's go back to Hebrews. So you see that in Hebrews, when he says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge His people, he's giving you the entire picture. The Lord will judge His people, but why? So He can restore them. You see the whole picture? These consequences are going to happen, but I'll bring you back once your power is gone. The point here is, is that what you want? He's bringing this song back to mind for these guys and said, Hey, you know those people that wandered in the wilderness? What did they get? They died in the wilderness and they didn't get to possess their inheritance. Is that what you want? Or do you want to repent while it's called today? You see the, you see the illustration he's given us? Well... What about a fearful... So that would give us a fearful expectation of judgment, wouldn't it? And fiery indignation? Well, what about fire? Don't we know fire is always just for the bad people? We never get any fire, do we? Well, let's just look at 1 Corinthians 3. This is a verse, a chapter that I don't think is controversial um, in terms of a kind of Christian theology. Everybody agrees 1 Corinthians 3 is talking about uh, believers. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul speaking to the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse, let's say, start in verse 9. We're God's fellow workers, you're God's field, you're God's building. He's using an illustration here the church is like a building. According to the grace of God which was given to me, Paul, as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation and other people build on it. But let each one take care how he build on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only legitimate foundation. 
Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day. Remember, stir one another up to love and good works and even more as the day approaches. Well, this is the day. The day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work, what sort it is. If anyone's work which he's built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, though as through fire. Let's go back to Hebrews. If we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge, there's no longer a sacrifice for sin. These temple sacrifices don't work for that. They never have. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will do what? What will the fiery indignation do? Consume who? Who? The adversaries. Who are the adversaries? Maybe unbelievers. Most certainly Satan and, the, and, the, and his demons. Most certainly Satan and his demons. Is that who this letter's written to? Are we concerned about being consumed? We're not worried about being consumed. We're worrying about all of our works being consumed and us being saved so as through fire. You see, the Babylonians came and they completely decimated Israel. And they deported them for seven years. And then what? Seventy years. And then what at the end of seventy years? He returned them. He brought them back. Because for us, the goal of judgment is always the same, which is what? Restoration. Restoration. Purification. That's the goal. For the adversaries, the goal is consumption. Get rid of it. Get it out of here. Those same Babylonians that chastised Israel were also chastised, but they weren't restored. They were just consumed. It's the same judgment. It has a different purpose and outcome. But the point is, is that what you want? Is that what you want? Now, for us, it's not much of a temptation for us to rely on temple sacrifice to take care of sin. But we have the equivalent, don't we? In our world of pop psychology and selfism, narcissism, uh, self-esteem, one of the ways that we can insult the Spirit of grace and count as a common thing the sacrifice of Jesus is to be self-correcting. Okay? This, I would say this probably would be my number one nomination for how we do this. Because we're self-fixing. It's not fixable. If it was fixable, those Levitical sacrifices would have fixed it. It takes the blood of Jesus to fix it. 
And guys, we're invited. You see this whole picture? We're invited. Let me just end by rereading verse 19. I covered a lot of ground today because I wanted you to see this verse was part of the continuation of the contrast between temple sacrifice and the sacrifice of the one, the one that doesn't work versus the one that does. But the application is immense. And what he wants us to do, verse 19 of chapter 10, Therefore, brethren, having boldness... Enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. This is where we should live our life. Not in self-help. Not in self-esteem. Not in talking ourselves out of having a, a, a guilty conscience. Which always ends up with blame of some sort. It is our problem. It is our fault. Will we accept the forgiveness that Jesus has provided on an ongoing basis. We can't outdo the blood of Jesus. There's nothing we can do that outdoes the blood of Jesus. And that cleansing is what sets us up to then move on to perfection, maturity, completion. And we do that by living in obedience. And obedience is the essence of loving other people. We're not really going to be able to love other people until we can see what they see. We're not really going to be able to see what they see until we can get self out of the way. So most of what we see is other people seeing us. Because what we're mostly focused on is us. And when we can get us out of the way then we can become great in the kingdom. What God wants is restoration of the whole world. And we can do it in part now by living as a servant king now. And it starts by entering the holy through the new and living way. Through the new veil that's the, blood, that's the body of Jesus. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. And then stirring one another up and all the more as the day approaches. God, thank you for visiting us. Thank you for the day. I pray that in the heart of everyone in here, you will plant an eagerness for your return, that every day we will hope you come back. And at the same time, an eagerness to stir one another up to love and good works, to set aside evilness and overflow of wickedness, which is corrupting to our souls, And receive with meekness the implanted word that is able to deliver our souls from that corruption. And that we may move on to perfection. That you may make of us everything you intended us to be. Crown us with glory and honor. God, when we're at the judgment seat of Christ, that we'll have ample gold, silver, and precious stones that you may be able to say, well done. And restore us to the place that you've had, that you intended for us in the first place. Because... We have followed your example. In Jesus' name, amen.